Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. In this week's episode, we're looking at why what you or your business looks like to others really matters, plus how you might go about building the perfect F1 cake. Welcome back to Pit Lane Life Lessons. about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things, but you only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won, so it could be deemed that's, that's a failure. Hey everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast. Thank you as ever, wherever it is you're joining me, however it is you're joining me, I appreciate every single one of you. And a quick note, if you're returning, if you were listening last week at the start of season five, I want to know if anyone tried the breaking the pencil trick. There were a number of you sent messages saying that I'm going to give it a go, I'm going to try it, can't wait to try it out. But no one's actually come back to me and told me how they got on. So just drop me a line. Did you try it? Did it work? Did you have to go through some pain? But did you eventually manage to break that pencil? And if you did, did it have an effect on you? What kind of effect did it have on you? Did you have a bit of a moment, that of a, a moment of realization that it was your mind that had changed your physical capabilities, nothing else, just your thought process? I hope it had an effect like that. That's the effect it had on me. It's the effect it had on my son. And I just love to know if any of you actually went out and tried it, and if you did, how you felt at the end of that. So drop me a, drop me a line. Um, This week, I want to talk about a couple of things, as ever, um, linked to Formula One, linked to motorsport, with with some messages underlying that I think can benefit us all in the wider world. That's the very point of the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast. It's why I started it, to share my knowledge and understanding and experience that I've gained through many years working in Formula One, both at the team and in the years since on the media side of F1 as well sharing what I've learned from the brilliant people that I came into contact with every single day during that period. I'm delighted to say that for this episode, we are once again joined by two very special partners. I'm going to talk a little bit more about them later on, but Omelagato Watches, who were here right back in season one, well, they are back again. Thank you to Omelagato. And also Car Gods, Car Care and Detailing Products but really special products. And again, I'll talk a bit more about them later on, but just give them some love. If that's all you do off the back of this podcast, show them some love, search them up on social media, give them a little like and a follow, or go and check out their website. And even better, go and buy some products. (laughs) But thank you to both of those partners for joining me on this journey and helping me to grow this into something that's bigger and better than it already is. Thank you all. Right, let's start then. This week, I want to talk about, well, I want to talk about a subject that's really kind of close to me, really something that is ingrained in me and is one of my kind of core values, if you like. I'm going to start by telling you, I guess, a little story that sets this up. So when I first left college and got my first job in motor racing, I was on this journey to get to Formula One and I got a job at a very small Caterham 7 race team. Now, it was small. It was a very small group of people. I think it was three or four people in total in the team. We'd bring a truck driver in at the weekend to drive the trucks to the racetracks. Uh, But that was kind of it. It was three or four of us. And 
After a couple of years of being the apprentice, I kind of moved up to being a more senior mechanic. Um, but I always was frustrated about the fact that the workshop that we operated out of was was kind of scruffy, it was messy, it was cluttered. It had stuff in there that didn't need to be there, had things in the wrong places, and quite frankly, most things didn't have a place. There was all a bit of a mess, it was dirty. And I hated that, I hated working under those conditions. And one day, the team owner, the guy that owned the entire organisation, came into our workshop and announced to me, and the apprentice who was there with me, announced that the team manager, my immediate boss, had left. Something had gone on behind the scenes and at very short notice, with immediate effect, he'd left. And the team owner had come in to say, look, I'm really sorry guys, but I'm going to have to tell all of our clients, these are the customers that we build Caterham race cars for, or track day cars for, we're going to have to tell all of our clients that unfortunately we're going to have to put all those racing activities on hold. We're not going to be able to compete in the next event, we're going to have to cancel our track days because we've got no team manager, the team manager's gone. And that left just me and another guy in the workshop, an apprentice. And whilst I was devastated, I was shocked, I was really surprised to hear the news. After five minutes of thinking about it, once the team owner had left our workshop and I was in there, it's kind of dazed and wondering what on earth was about to happen, I thought, do you know what? I'm going to do something about this. And I walked straight out, went round to his office. I said, listen, how about this? How about... We tell our clients what's happened, but we offer them the chance to continue going to the race event this weekend. We, st- we still offer these client track days that we've got booked in, because if you think about it, it was only ever me, really, and the, and the other mechanics that did the work here. The team manager, yes, they did a lot of the sort of clerical work, the logistics work, organisation, that kind of thing, uh, client collaboration um, and communication. And I said, but you know, the real bulk of the work, the hands-on stuff, we can still do. Nothing changes. We can still prepare a car. We've still got a truck driver who's going to be coming in, a freelance truckie that's going to come in at the weekend and drive the cars on a truck to the racetrack. I said, we set everything up. We set the awnings up and the the, uh, get all the tools out. We prepare the garages. I said, we can still do all that stuff. And the owner sort of looked at me and thought about it for a little while. He said, look, He said, okay, I'm going to give you a shot. And I was very young, right? I was 19 years old. I was relatively inexperienced myself, but I was confident. I was confident in my own ability. I knew I could do what I was telling him I could do. This was my bread and butter. This was what I did on a daily basis. I could do this. And he put some trust in me to go ahead and just essentially run the workshop for the interim period until we could find a new team manager. And I was very grateful to have that trust. And I went back into the workshop And I immediately started organising things. And the reason that I want to tell you this story is because what I did on day one of being given that responsibility, that opportunity to run the workshop how I wanted to run it without somebody else leading the way as they had done up until this point, I had the opportunity to transform the place where we worked. And I had become so frustrated with the fact that our workshop was messy and dirty and untidy And I thought, right, I'm going to change this. So I literally spent the next two days with me and the apprentice getting rid of stuff we didn't need, reorganizing the entire space. And every single morning when we had the night before packed our workshop full of Caterham 7s from customers and clients and our race cars that were just shoehorned into this space to keep them out of the road 
overnight, keep them secure. Every morning, whereas for the past five years, we'd opened the workshop doors in the morning, we'd got all of those cars out, we just parked them randomly around the car park in any space that was spare, and we got on with the day's work. What I did in day one was I opened the garage doors in the morning and I got these cars out and I organized them all in this slightly sort of 45 degree angle right along the workshop, the front wall of the workshop outside, taking up the first row of car park spaces, but I, I got them early and I made sure we got them all for us. And I parked seven or eight Caterham sevens with military precision at 45 degree angles alongside each other in an almost display of Caterham sevens. And it looked great and it was nothing. It was just about parking cars in the right place, but doing it accurately with attention to detail. And when the owner came in, the boss came in, he said, wow, that looks really great. He said, that's good stuff. He said, give me a big pat on the back. Well done, Mark. And I did it every single day. And not only did I do it, I made sure that it was perfect. And I spent probably longer than I should have done making sure that the angles are right, the distances between those cars are right, that they all sat there with a the wheel straight looking perfect. And the reason that I'd done it, the reason that I'd tidied the workshop and made it look loads better, cleared out all the clutter, given everything a space, and over the space of a week, I transformed our environment, our place of work. The reason I did it was because that facade, that first viewing that any potential customer or client sees is exactly that. We were near the main road, we were in Clapham in London. People drove past us every day. Before that, nobody would have known what we do having just driven past on the main road. But today, after I'd been through that process, people would drive past on the main road and they would see this really quite impressive array of Caterham race cars lined up outside the front of our workshop, perfectly. And I remember thinking, I hope this makes a difference. I wonder if this is going to make a difference to anybody. And one day, somebody pulled in randomly off the main road, were just driving past, decided to drive in and see what we do. And they did that because of what they saw as they were driving past, something they'd never seen before. They might have seen the odd Caterham dotted around the car park, but there was nothing to say, this business works on Caterham 7s or builds Caterham 7s. And this guy came in and he started chatting and I made him a cup of tea and I had him, showed him around the workshop. I showed him some of the work we were doing and he bought a Caterham. He not only bought a Caterham, but he bought a Caterham and asked us to build it. Now that was the bread and butter of our business. It was that kind of client that kept our business going, that funded some of the other activities, the racing activities that we were able to go and do at weekends. And I brought a client in almost entirely from the presentation of how we suddenly looked, how our business was presented to the outside world. I'd attracted somebody in through a little display at the front of our workshop. It was like a peacock fluttering its feathers, trying to attract a mate. That's exactly what I had done with our little business. I'd sent the best of our business outside and lined it up for the world to see. And of course, when this guy came in, we had to back that up. We had to show him that we meant business, that these were the kind of cars that we could build. This attention to detail in the presentation was how we ran our business. Everything ran like that. And the way I talked him through what we did gave that same impression. 
I showed him some of the finer details that we did when we built our cage rooms, something that no one else would have done. And he was impressed. And the very point was he was impressed because that is exactly what I was trying to do with the presentation. And when he walked into the workshop, it was clean and tidy. The floors had been swept and washed the night before. Everything had been put away. Worktops were kept clean. And of course, the reason I'm saying all of this is if you fast forward a few years in my career, of course, I end up at McLaren where this is exactly on a whole another level. This is exactly what McLaren was all about. Attention to detail. And maybe it was no coincidence that that's where I ended up. I mean, I got to McLaren having had this attention to detail in me. It was something that was clearly part of my DNA, something that had got me through my motorsport career on the mechanical and the engineering side. It was attention to detail that made me or enabled me to climb that ladder towards Formula One. And when I got into McLaren, when I was still blown away by the attention to detail. Their attention to detail was another level altogether. But I fitted in because that had been ingrained into me and I had developed that as a skill or as a trait. It's something that I passed on to the apprentice and I hope that apprentice left us and went on to do bigger and better things in the future with an eye for detail. Something that he may have got from me perhaps, at least to some extent. But the point was, the way we presented that little Caterham 7 business brought in a client. And it may well have brought in many other clients in the years that followed after I'd gone. But it was all about a little bit of attention to detail in how we presented ourselves. Now, when I get to McLaren, of course, there are, as I said, there's a whole other world of attention to detail and presentation. And I remember another little story when McLaren, Ron Dennis had spent millions of pounds on building a brand new, the brand centre, we called it. A multi-level, three-storey high, incredible building that went into the paddock at every single European Grand Prix. It took something like 17 trucks to transport it to a race. It took hundreds of people to assemble it over a few days to get it ready for that race weekend. But once it was built... My goodness, it was amazing inside. You couldn't help but be wowed when you stood back in the paddock and saw it, let alone when the the sliding doors opened and you walked inside. It was incredible. It was an extension of the MTC, McLaren's really impressive and incredible factory back in Woking in the UK. And when Ron had committed these millions of pounds that were needed to build this incredible structure that was going to be mobile, that could be thrown up and down in a few days, transported to another part of Europe and thrown up and down again, people questioned, well, Ron, this is going to cost us, you know, quite a few million pounds to build this. Do we need it? Because the old one, that's pretty good. It's still pretty impressive. Most people in the paddock still find our old motorhome, as we called it, still fairly impressive. And Ron's response was, Ron said, the last motorhome, I mean, it wasn't a motorhome, it was this incredible building in itself. He said, the last motorhome, he said, it cost us a million pounds to design, build, and manufacture, get to a racetrack, a million pounds. He said, but in the five years we've had that building at the racetracks, we have done hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds of business 
has been signed inside that building. We've done millions, hundreds of millions of pounds worth of deals sat at tables inside those buildings where I've invited clients down and as part of the reason, part of the reason they have signed is because they've been impressed. They've been in impressive surroundings. He said, so I'm quite comfortable committing a few more million to build something that I know is going to be even more grand and even more impressive because the return on that investment over time, I expect to be many, many more times what the last one was. If you think about one prime sponsor in Formula One bringing tens and tens and tens of millions of pounds, in the tobacco sponsorship days, hundreds of millions of pounds from one client, one company. If we can wow those clients, if we can wine and dine them in the most fancy place in the paddock, if we can stand out in that paddock, head and shoulders above everybody else, which is what that building did, well then our clients, potential clients even, are going to be proud to be walking into that building. They're going to want to show that off to their clients, to their customers, to their staff. It's something they're going to want to shout about from the rooftops that they are partnered with us at McLaren because of the way we go to, the levels of attention to detail we go to when we're presenting things like our motorhome, like our factory, like our cars, our garage. This attention to detail in our presentation was absolutely part of McLaren's DNA. And the point behind all of this and the point Ron was making was that that building, that building was a representation not just of a big, glitzy, glamorous place. It wasn't just something to show off about, but it was a representation of our company. It was a representation of McLaren and the people in McLaren and how we go about our business. The sort of care and attention we put into our work is reflected in the care and attention that went into that brand centre. The MTC is exactly the same. It's still 20 years later, after it was first opened back in 2003, still one of, if not the most impressive factory anywhere on the grid. And that was incredibly deliberate because it reflects the way we go about our business. And my point off the back of all of these little stories I'm telling you is that if we can do things and display ourselves or our companies, if we can reflect the way we want to operate or reflect our own values, our own beliefs in the way we portray ourselves for that very first initial impression, it can have a huge impact on who wants to come and interact with us, who wants to do business with us, who wants to engage with us, form relationships with us. Those first impressions can be monumental. And I talked about this in much more depth in a much earlier episode, way back in the first series. I talked about how first impressions are super important. We talk about not judging books by its cover, by its cover, but we do that. We do it all the time. Everybody does it. We make a snap judgment the moment we see somebody or something. And so if we want to have an element of control of what somebody thinks when they make that snap judgment, when they take that first impression, we have to design the first impression that they get. 
and it is about an element of control. We can control or manipulate to some extent what people think about us, even before they've had the opportunity to work with us or to build their relationship with us. I talked about it in that first episode, that earlier episode, in the sense of relationships, dating. We do the same things, don't we? We dress in a certain way. We put makeup on if that's what we want to do. We go to certain places. When we start interacting with people, we tell the kind of stories we want them to hear first. We don't tell them the rubbish stories. We don't tell them the ones that we're a little bit embarrassed about. We tell them the ones they want to hear or we want them to hear. Social media is another great example. We curate a set of images or videos that give off the impression that we want other people to have of us. If we were broadcasting our entire lives live every single day, if it was a Truman show, if we were live on air on Instagram for the entirety of a full day, we'd give off a very different impression, I'm sure, because they'd see the best and the worst of us. But we don't do that. We curate what others see. And that's the same thing that Ron Dennis did at McLaren. It's the same thing that I was trying to do back in those early days at that Caterham race team. Now, you can have the attitude in life. You can have the attitude of, well, I don't care what other people think. And to some extent, that may be fine. For some people, that may be fine. But what you lose when you have that kind of attitude is you lose the ability to gain that very immediate advantage of manipulating somebody else's impression of you. And if we're talking about business, that can be a really valuable thing, guiding people in the right direction, bringing them to you because you might know they are the right kind of potential client, the right kind of potential client for your business. And by putting a certain image out there or an image portrayal, by presenting yourself or your company in a certain way, you want to attract the right kind of people. It's a little bit like casting your net really wide. If you don't care what people think of you, what anyone else thinks, you cast your net really wide. If you're a business doing that, you're sort of throwing your doors open and just kind of hoping someone's going to wander in. Or you're going to hope 10 people might wander in and one of them might be the right kind of client. If you take this attitude of grasping an element of control and manipulating to some degree what others see of you in that first impression, you target the right clients, you target the right kind of approach to the right kind of people. You go straight to the kind of people you might want to do business with. And that can be a really powerful advantage to have. It makes your approach more efficient. It's kind of advertising. It's like advertising, isn't it? If you take out an advert for your business in a magazine, you're going to create an image, probably a set of text that goes with it, that just shouts about the very best things about your company or the most relevant things about your company to the kinds of people that are going to read that magazine. You're not going to tell somebody in a magazine about something that has no bearing on them, has no relevance to them. It would be a waste of your advertising dollar. So you curate something that is targeted. And that's what we're talking about doing here. From a business perspective, it seems quite obvious, right? It seems like, of course, that's what you've got to do. If you want to go out there and attract the right clients, you need to give off the right impression. And those little details matter. But it's the same for you and I. If we want to attract a potential partner, 
It might be a business partner. It might be just friends. But if you want to attract somebody, if you want to make friends, if you want to build relationships, you want to give off the impression that you want others to think of you. Now, the key to all of this is it's got to be the right impression, right? Because if you give off an impression that isn't really you, you'll get found out very quickly and the whole thing will be a disaster. The whole thing will be a waste of time. Not only that, it could actually end up being a real negative force. So you have to think about what are your values and beliefs? What are the the messages that you stand by in life? And then you can start thinking about how you present yourself in that certain way. If you have a certain set of beliefs, if you want to live your life in a certain type of way, looking for some eventual outcomes, whether it be happiness, some kind of success in one means or another, are you on the right path to doing that? Are you living by those values? Are the things that you're doing today fitting into that sort of bigger picture that you've got in your mind for some way down the line? If you're a business, are you operating in a way that's going to attract the right kind of clients for your company? If I go back to my my example in the beginning of the Caterham Race Team, if anybody had walked through our door randomly in the days before we changed things around, they'd have been disappointed with what they found. They'd have found a messy place that was chaotic and it was untidy and it was dirty And if you see those things, that's the impression you've got of that business. So why on earth would you want to give over your hard-earned cash to let those scruffy, dirty, untidy, chaotic people build what is hopefully going to be your pride and joy, your dream car, a Caterham 7? You just wouldn't, would you? So it's about sending out the right messages and aligning yourself to those messages, or rather, aligning the messages to the way that you want to and should be living your life. And those are questions I think we can all ask ourselves. Are we living our lives the right way or the way we want to live them? And if we were being broadcast to the world constantly, would our lives match up to the image that we try to give out to everybody else? Would our lives stack up if they were matched to our Instagram posts? Would they stack up to real life? Or are we giving off some impression that's not real? Are we trying to convince somebody of something that isn't really us? And if we are doing that, why? Why on earth? Who are we trying to impress? All that's doing is building a fake reality for you and for the people on the other end of those posts, those images that they get to see. And if you ever come into contact, if you ever meet those people in real life, well, they're going to be hugely disappointed, aren't they? So the question is, what are we doing today? Are we doing the right things that align with our values and our beliefs and our journey that we're on to get to whatever success we want to get to? Are we doing the right things, making the right choices, living our life in the right way? And are we portraying ourselves in that way too? Because I think both are really important from both a business and a personal perspective, giving off the right impression, attracting the right types of people that we want to attract, the right types of clients. It might be other businesses, whatever it might be. Are we giving off the right impression that we want to give off? It's really easy to get that wrong, by the way. We can be living our lives in a way that we believe to be correct, but still give off a completely 
a completely sort of misunderstood impression or an impression that is easily misunderstood is a better way to describe it. We might be scruffy and undressing untidily. We might be late, turning up for meetings late. You know, we might not get things done on time. We might not get things done to a certain standard. Do we make mistakes because we weren't really being very careful or paying attention? If we're doing any of those things, well, what on earth is anyone else going to see or think when they encounter those things? Are they, wanna, are they gonna want to go into business with us or have a relationship with us? The, prob- the, the chances are probably not. And you wouldn't blame them, would you? So it's about trying to redirect the way we live our lives to align with where we wanna get to, but also giving off that impression that says those things, that tells the world, look at us, this is what we're about. Come and do business with us. Come and work with us. Come and be my friend. Come and hang out with us. Let's go on a date. Whatever it is, whoever it is you're trying to attract, you've got to give an impression that's attractive to those people. A few months back, I got asked to go and visit a company up north. In fact, they own a number of brands, a number of companies in the automotive space. And I drove up there, I followed the directions and I went into their uh, premises. You go down into an underground car park and then you get in a lift and you go up to a floor that is actually minus one. And you come out of the lift and you're presented with this incredible display of um, cars, unusual cars, some rare cars, some racing cars, some motorbikes, some motorsport and automotive artifacts. Lewis Hamilton's steering wheel was there. There was a a race suit from another racing driver. There was a a car from one of the James Bond movies. I mean, some incredible stuff. It was like walking through a museum. It was all laid out beautifully with carpeted areas in front of it, little descriptions of what each piece was, some of them playing video behind, demonstrating where they were originally used. And you have to walk through this area to then get to the reception area. The company was called Tetrasil. And I walk up to this great big reception area with a big brand name Tetrasil behind. And the lovely lady in reception says, yeah, hello, we've been expecting you. Just pop up to uh, floor, uh, the first floor and somebody will meet you there. And you pop up in the lift and you open the doors again. And then you're, just, you're confronted with this incredible lounge area with beautiful sofas. There's a great big bar. Everything's automotive themed. So there's coffee tables made out of beautifully sort of manicured engines, if you like, um, with little pieces of glass on top. Uh, Formula One race tires or race wheels is another table. All sorts of incredible stuff all over the place. It was just a beautiful space. Everything was well lit. It was, it was just lovely. And then the client that I'd gone to meet or the person I'd gone to meet came out to, to meet me and took me on a guided tour. And I was there for the day. They showed me around every single thing that they do. They produce a number of brands in the sort of car care space, if you like. So protective equipment, protective cleaning products. Um, They showed me all of the different brands that they produce. So they each one had their own displays uh, where all the offices were that worked on that particular brand. They have very clever and beautiful displays presenting all of those things in this incredible level of attention to detail. They took me up to their lab and their lab is where the scientists up there, all in white coats, incredible white space, and they are up there developing and fine-tuning some of these products, testing products, coming up with new 
chemistries, coming up with new designs that will do new things in terms of car protection. And they had little demonstrations set out of each what each one does. So how a water droplet can drop on your car once you've protected it with this stuff and it will just bead and roll away incredibly. How water and dirt will wash off without any more cleaning products once you've protected it with this particular stuff. And they had demonstrations of protected car windscreens and unprotected car windscreens and, and all of the different products that they make demonstrated in really clear to understand, really quite impressive ways. And effectively, what I'm trying to say is I was amazed as I walked around this building. It was impressive in all the ways that I've just described McLaren doing their thing, me trying to do a similar kind of thing with these little Caterham 7s back in the day. It was an impressive space. Now, this wasn't a space that customers, as in the general public, got to come in. It wasn't a shop. Nobody was walking in to buy product. This was a space they brought potential clients. They brought people who might want to start stocking their products, other businesses. They brought them down here. They brought people down for meetings. And they would have had exactly the same effect that it had on me when I walked in. The same effect that Ron Dennis was looking for when he committed to spending all that money on the McLaren Brand Centre. The effect of being wowed, but also the effect of knowing how this company does business. What level of detail they put into their products, but also the people that work there, the environment they work in, how they do their business, what sort of people they were, what they care about, how much care and attention they put into all of the things that they do. That company, Tetrasil, is the parent company of Cargods. Cargods Detailing Products, a sponsor of this podcast for this episode. And that little story I've told you is exactly the reason why I approached them a few weeks ago and said, listen, I'm thinking about trying to bring a couple of partners on board to help me grow the podcast. Would you like to be involved? Because I know they tie in perfectly with the messages that I try to portray in everything that we do here. Attention to detail runs right through my veins today. It always has done to some extent, but my time in McLaren and Formula One accelerated that, took it to new levels. And it takes quite a lot to impress me today, but the guys at Car Gods and Tetrasil did exactly that. And that is why I wanted them to be part of this project. So I would love it if you wanted to, to check out what they do as well. Be impressed like I was. Go to cargods.com and you can have a look and see all the things that they offer. Some incredible ways to look after your car, to protect it. Preventative maintenance just by applying different products. And then, of course, the care and the detailing, the cleaning, making it look and shine and present it in the way that you might want to present your pride and joy. If you've got a car that you're proud of, these are the kind of products that can really help you show it off. Look after it and then show it off. And we talked all the way through this first part about giving off the right impressions. Car God's detailing products can help you do exactly that. So look, go and check them out, show them some love, tell them that I sent you, that would also really help. And if you want to buy some products, do so. Believe me, having tried and tested so many products on the market in all the things that I do, from racing cars to road cars to my own personal cars, believe me, 
the suite of products that Car Gods produces, together with the care and attention that goes into those, the continuous development of those products makes them the very best that I have found. And that is a genuine endorsement for me, having tried and tested loads of them. So look, go check them out, give them a go, cargods.com. Thank you. Um, the other partner, of course, for this episode is Omelagato Watches. And we, we can't go too much further without mentioning them as well. Many of you already know them. They produce the most incredible motorsport-inspired watches. But I think the thing that impresses me most about Omelagato, it's not just the fact that it's a, a small family-run business. Effectively, this is the brainchild of one guy, a massive motorsport fan, a massive petrol head, Shami Kalra, a good friend of mine, who designed or started this business because he loved motorsports. And he wanted to create timepieces that reflected some of the big moments in racing history, some of the big venues, some of the iconic liveries and brands that have been part of this sport over time. He wanted to reflect that with some brilliant and beautiful timepieces. And he's done exactly that. But the thing that impresses me most of all is that Omologato Watches exists not only for those reasons that I've just said, but also to give back to the motorsport world. They spend a huge part of their time, and even more so, a huge part of their profits, feeding back into the motorsport community to support drivers and riders in motorbike racing, to support teams, to support venues at grassroots level. In fact, Shami told me a really good story the other day. I think, in fact, he put this on Twitter. You may have seen it if you follow him. But he said he's just gone through an eight-week investigation from the HMRC into his business accounts, came out fully clear, and there was nothing, nothing to worry about. They got an all, a clear bill of health. But the reason they were investigated, because the HMRC could not believe how much money out of their profits this company puts back into motorsport to supporting the sport that they love. And I think that is a huge thing. I think it's a massive thing. That's something that should be celebrated and applauded. And look, if you want to do your part to help and support that, go and check out omelagatowatches.com. You will not be disappointed with what you find there. The watches are beautiful. I've been wearing them for years now. I've got three of them. And that is because I love them so much. Uh, I've got a new one, actually. Um, if you're watching the, in fact, you won't have seen it yet, the, in the latest series of Wheeler Dealers that we're just filming right now, I've got a brand new Omelagato watch, which I think is stunning. You'll have seen it on my Instagram if you've seen some of those pictures, but um, but check that out. But omelagatowatches.com, go give, go give them some love, follow them on the socials, and if you want to buy a watch, that would be amazing too. So thank you. Thank you to Car Gods. Thank you to Omelagato. Okay, let's crack on. Okay, so this week just gone, I spent one day in Italy going to visit uh, Shell. Um, the company Shell is the renewables division of Shell, but I had to go over there to on the, on the shores of Lake Maggiore, beautiful location, and I spent an afternoon with them talking through how best to deal with change, how they can embrace a changing environment and make the best of it. This is an oil and gas company that's facing a world that's veering well away from oil and gas. Not only is it running out, but also the world is turning against it. We need to find new ways to produce energy, to power our vehicles and our homes and our industry. And Shell Renewables, along with all of the other traditional oil and gas companies, are having to find ways 
to adapt their business to embrace a new way of working. And that comes with its challenges. And I was there to talk about exactly that. It's exactly how a company or a team can embrace change rather than seeing it as a threat to embrace that change and look for the opportunities within it. See it as a a challenge and an opportunity rather than seeing it as something that threatens their existence. I was using Formula One, of course, as a model. I was talking about how Formula One adapted at the end of the tobacco sponsorship period, which is a massive change. Uh, Formula One's adapting right now, and I've talked about this already, but this environmental impact or the environmental threat that we're all facing, Formula One potentially could see that as an enormous existential threat, something that could bring the sport to its knees, but it's not. It's in the opportunity there, and it's embracing this idea of developing sustainable fuels. So it's hoping to create a, uh, an opportunity out of something that could be a threat. And those are the things I was talking to Shell about. But at the end of it, I got uh, a series of questions, as I always do. And given that we were in Italy, given I was talking to Shell, there were a number of Ferrari fans in the room. And part of my talk had referred to the idea of teamwork, great teamwork, talking about how to build high-performing teams, because it's those high-performing teams that are best situated to deal with a changing environment. And as part of that, I talked about how, you know, Red Bull have nailed it right now, of course. They seem to be getting everything right. They're slick in terms of their operation. I've talked about Mercedes over the past seven years, almost getting everything just perfect, dominating the sport for such a long period of time. That comes because they got everything right or almost everything right. And then, of course, I had to talk about Ferrari. And we're in Italy. We're at Shell. They are Ferrari sponsors. They are Ferrari fans. And I'm talking about how Ferrari haven't got it right. And the question that came at the end was, how do you go about getting the very best team when you've got almost everything? Because look, Ferrari have got great cars, great drivers, huge resources, but they're still not managing to win. So how do you just get across the line when you're almost there? And my response to that question was to sort of use the analogy of, of baking a cake. I said, if you've got, let's say you had 10 ingredients that went into a cake. I said, but if you only had nine of those ingredients, well, your cake's probably going to be pretty average, isn't it? Because it's either not going to taste right or it's not going to look right. It's not going to rise as it should. Something won't be right. You need all 10 ingredients, 10 ingredients to get it right. And even if you've got nine out of 10, it might be OK, but it's not going to be a great cake it's probably going to be a fairly average cake, even with just one of those 10 ingredients missing. So Ferrari have got the funds, the money, the resources, they've got the facilities, the equipment, the tooling, they've got the people, they've got the best drivers, they've got the best car, they've got the best facilities, all of these things, they've got all the right elements, but they're missing one. And that's that seamless operational teamwork behind the scenes. I said, I used the term, I think they're missing psychological safety within their organisation. People don't feel psychologically safe. They don't feel safe enough to pipe up with a new idea or with a question, to question the way they're doing things. No one's got any confidence. And without any confidence, people struggle to make decisions under pressure. Sometimes they just don't make those decisions. And that might all be because that one final ingredient in their cake is missing. And yet the result is they haven't won a championship despite having all of those other things 
since 2007 with Kimi Raikkonen. That's a long time ago. At times this year, they have the best car, they've got the fastest car, and they still can't manage to win because they're missing one vital ingredient. And my point in all of that was that it takes everything. You have to have the entire package to give you the selves, give yourselves the best opportunity at generating success. In Formula One, you're looking for the world championship. You're looking to win Grand Prix and then sustain that over the season and go for the world championship. To do that, you need everything. You need every piece of the jigsaw. You need every single ingredient. And Ferrari haven't got it. And look, don't get me wrong, Mercedes haven't got it this year either. Because their car has let them down. They've still got a great team. They've still got great people. They've still got a great culture and a great environment inside their business. It's the same environment and teamwork and everything else that went into that sustained period of immense success over the past seven or eight years. But this year, the cars let them down. They got it wrong. They didn't get the final piece correct. So they're missing one of their ingredients. Red Bull, you'd have to say, are the closest to having all of their ingredients in place. They haven't been perfect, but nobody is. But they've got the bulk of it right. More often than not, and better than anyone else, they've got the bulk of it right. And exactly the same thing applies to us and our lives. We have to have all of the ingredients to get to wherever we want to get to in business or just in life in general, in relationships. If we've got nine out of 10 of those ingredients, something's going to fail, something's gonna break, something's gonna let us down. And that could be really quite significant. It might be small, but over time it might grow into something significant. How many of us have been in relationships where gradually the little tiny things start to niggle at you and they they become more and more serious for you? They become an even bigger problem. People get more and more annoyed by them. And because we might not talk about them or discuss them, they continue to grow and get bigger. And that one missing ingredient grows into something that's so substantial, it can destroy and destruct the entire relationship. Same thing happens in business. And what we have to try and do in our lives or in our companies is continually be looking at all of the ingredients that we need. And it's a continuously adaptive process because if the world is changing, the environment's changing, just like I was talking to Shell about, you might have to change some of those ingredients. You might require a different set of ingredients. Your ingredients might have to evolve over time. But if no one's got their eye on the ball looking at this big picture of all the ingredients you need, it's easy to miss that. Ferrari feel like they have missed a massive part of their ingredients list over quite a considerable period of time now. And it has developed into something that's manifesting itself in all the ways we've seen when we watch Grand Prix. The radio calls, the the interviews with team management, the results. All of these things have become a problem because there's something missing. Now, it doesn't mean that Ferrari have to now throw all of their resource at that one missing ingredient, because of course what happens then is you lose all the others. You start to deteriorate some of the others without any care and attention on them. And it's a challenge. It's a big challenge. In Formula One, it's an enormous challenge. But in our lives as well, it's exactly the same. Whatever you're heading towards, wherever you want to get to, in a relationship or in work or whatever, whatever, 
You've got to decide which ingredients you need to get there and have you got them all in place? Most of us will answer that question by saying, no, we haven't got them all in place. Because that's the, that's the goal. That's what we should be striving towards. Those who get all of them in place, the Red Bulls of this world, like we're seeing in 2022 in Formula One, that's an incredible achievement. What Mercedes have done over the past few years, an incredible achievement. I mean, it should be celebrated massively because that's incredibly hard to do. Even more hard to sustain over a period of time like Mercedes did. For us, it's the same thing. It's unlikely that most of you listening to this podcast will be able to answer that question and say, yep, I've got everything in place. I'm firmly on track towards whatever success looks like to me. If you have, congratulations. That is amazing. Your job in that moment is to continually look at it, review it, monitor it, develop it, keep an eye on that big picture. Make sure you don't need to add in another ingredient to satisfy a changing world or a changing environment, a changing relationship, a changing set of circumstances. But if you haven't got all of those ingredients in place, your challenge is to try and find them. Your challenge is to work out what they are. That's the very first part of that puzzle. Where do you want to get to in life? Where do you want to aim at? What's not right with you right now? And where would you like to be in five years time? If we know the answer to that, we can start to work out what we need in our cake. What do we need to get there? Which ingredients do we need? Could it be that we need to look after our health a little bit more? Could it be that we need to take a little bit of control back in our lives? If we're out of control, it feels like life is taking control of us. We're constantly just in a flat spin trying to survive, trying to stabilise. Is there something we can do to take control back of the areas that we can control? It might be that we need to eat more healthily. We might need to come up with a morning routine. Maybe we need to go to bed earlier or get up later to improve our sleep, our quality of sleep. Can we change our habits before bedtime to make sure we get quality sleep? Not staring at your phone before bed, not working until 10 o'clock at night and going straight to bed after that. These things have a major impact on the quality of sleep. And if we get poor quality sleep, it's very, very difficult for us then to, to get the best out of ourselves the following day. That could be one of the ingredients that we're missing. It could be one of the ingredients we could improve upon. I and mean, there are all manner of things. It could be financial, looking after our money better, using our money better, spending it more wisely. It might be earning more. It might be investing it, putting our money to work, to grow a pot of money. All sorts of different things can feed into this cake that ultimately leads to the success that we're after, that we want. Our job is to find out what the ingredients are. Do we have any of them right now? Which ones are we still searching for? Where are they? Can we get them? When we get them, can we nurture them? Can we look after them? These are all the really important questions that we have to satisfy ourselves to generate the success that we might be after. And when we're talking at this Shell event, that's what Shell were trying to do was Reimagine the cake. The oil and gas cake is gone. It hasn't gone, but it's, it's still there, but it's, it's not the future. 
the future is a very different cake. And for a company that has so much tradition in one sector, looking at a completely new sector, that's a completely new cake. They've got a new set of ingredients that they need. Some of them may well cross over. Some of them may well be the same ingredients they've had for all that time in the oil and gas world. But there are clearly some new ones and they're figuring that out. They're searching for them, they're identifying them and then going after them. Ferrari kind of need to do the same thing. They need to identify the missing part of their puzzle, the missing ingredient. And they need to find it. And for me, this is what I said to the, the guys at Shell, the Ferrari missing ingredient is not something you can just go and buy. It's not something that's there on a shelf ready for you to come and pick it. It may not be an overnight fix. In fact, I'm fairly sure it's not an overnight fix. It may be a fairly long-term fix. Changing the culture within that organisation is not something that happens quickly. But they have to start the search for that missing ingredients now. Because if it's going to take five years, you've got to start now. You should have started a long time ago, but if you didn't, you've got to start now. I said to the guys this week, the best time to start anything new was yesterday. And if you didn't do it yesterday, well, then the best time is right now. And I believe that the same applies to us. We should be reevaluating ourselves regularly. What is it we're searching for? How do we need to, or how can we get it? What do we need to go and get it? How many of those ingredients do we already have? And if we have some, then wonderful. But how many are we looking for? Where, where are we going to find them? How do we get them? And then how do we keep them? How do we maintain them, nurture them, develop them? These are skills that are not always easy, but unless we go looking, unless we actively go looking for the answers to these questions, we will bumble through life with no real hope of getting anywhere near the place that we want to get to in the end. The relationship that we dream of having, the, the home we want to own, the car we want to drive, the, the job we would love to get to, the position in a company, whatever it is, the dream that we've got. And we must, we must all have a dream somewhere. You should all have a dream somewhere. The way to make that dream a reality is to put some focus onto it. A lot of focus is to identify what the dream is and then map out a route to get there. And it's no good just focusing on the, the big bits, the glamorous, glitzy bits. It's the hard, nitty gritty of it. It's the dirty work that goes into the building that, that business or that, that project. Building that process towards success is sometimes, it's not glamorous at all. It's difficult. It's really difficult. But if we don't put the care and attention into it, we will never get the success out of it. So care and attention. Look at those things we talked about earlier on in the beginning of this episode. Putting some focus on attention to detail of how we want to portray, portray ourselves. What does our image give off? Is that one of the ingredients we might need to get towards a successful outcome in the end? Attracting the right people, giving off the right impression, giving off an impression of the sort of person who has the kind of success that we're after. I always sort of ask people this question. If you want to get to a certain place, imagine it. Let's say it's five years from now. 
Imagine a, a place of brilliance, a successful place, some outcome that you're after. What kind of person do you want to be five years from now? Are you sitting in a, an office having had a promotion? Are you financially stable, wealthy even? Are you fit and healthy? Do you look good? Have you changed your body shape? Have you changed your relationships? Whatever those things are, imagine that person five years from now. Imagine that person that you want to be in the place that you want to be. And then imagine what that person would be doing today. The successful person sitting in their big, shiny office, having had all those promotions. What would that guy be doing? What that guy, what would his routine be? When that guy gets up in the morning, what do you think he does? Does he hit the snooze button? Does he roll over and just snooze and stay in bed? Does he eat junk food? Maybe he does, but maybe he gets up early. He seizes the day. He takes control of the bits that he can control. He does a bit of exercise. He eats healthily. He gets himself off to work via the gym, whatever. Imagine the person you want to be five years from now and then imagine what that person would be doing today because it's that that will get you to that eventual goal. The impression you give off needs to be the impression of that person you want to be. It's one of the first steps. And then you can start figuring out how to be that person. But you're never going to be that person unless you start acting like that person. And in the beginning, you might even have to pretend. You might have to pretend to be a senior manager, a CEO. You might have to pretend to be someone who's really successful in life if you don't feel that way right now. But even starting to pretend to be that way starts to change your mindset. We talked about it last week. Whatever your brain hears and whatever it sees, it believes. So start to create the impression of someone who's successful. Start to behave in that way. Start to seize control of your life and put it on a path towards the place you want to be. Pretending, if that's the way you have to do it, to be that person at the end of your journey. And sooner or later, you don't have to pretend anymore. You morph into that person, you become that person. And this journey is self-perpetuating. And in five years time, you will be in the place you dreamt of being all that time ago. How much do you want the success? If you're not that bothered, it's fine. There's not a right or a wrong here. But if you do want to get to a certain outcome, and this is how Formula One teams operate, if you want to get towards the outcome of winning races, becoming the best, you have to make sure you have every single one of those ingredients in your cake mix. It's a difficult thing to do. Dedicate time to looking at all of those different areas of your life. Write it down. Set yourself a schedule. Monday, I want to look at this thing. Tuesday, I want to look at this. Monday might be health. It might be your eating habits. Just review what you eat. Tuesday might be your financial situation. Look at how you spend your money, how you save your money, how you earn your money. Just give it some attention. There might be some physical review on Wednesday about how you get your exercise, whether you work out or not. It could be any manner of things. Look at your environment on a Thursday. Is your house tidy? Is it a clean place? Is it a nice place to be? Is your office desk tidy? 
right back at the beginning of this, I talked about how I was working in an, in an un, uh, sort of untidy, chaotic workspace back in my first job. And it did not encourage me to put any care and attention into my work. It made me feel chaotic. The place was so messy, there was no point in me putting any attention into clearing up my little workspace. Because look at the rest of it. And yet when we transformed it, when you turn it into a organised, clean environment with everything in its place and everything having a place, where you know where things are, when it's practical, it's efficient, well then everything starts to become easier, but also your motivation to go that extra mile becomes easier. It's worth putting the care and attention in because look at the rest of it. You don't want to let down the environment that you've now created. It's how McLaren built their entire business. Attention to detail is in the environment that we work in, but it rubs off on every individual. Everything that McLaren does has attention to detail at the heart of it. I talked about car gods and Tetrasil basing themselves on exactly the same mantra. And you can do exactly the same. I believe we should do the same. If we want to get to a certain place, this is how we get there. It's through care and attention in every single area of what we do. It's through identifying the means and the path to get to where we want to get to and then setting ourselves on that path. Taking the time, actively placing ourselves on the path. We won't fall into it. You've got to be very, very lucky for that to happen. You have to make a change, you have to take control and you have to actively place yourself on a path that's heading in the direction of success. Thank you again to you. If you can leave me a rating and a review in the Apple Podcast Store, I'd really appreciate it. Show me some love wherever it is you're listening. Drop me a message. Whatever you've taken from this episode or any of the others, please let me know and share it around to your communities, to your friends, to your colleagues, your families, whatever. Share it around. I would really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being part of this. I'll be back in a week's time with another one. And in the meantime, whatever it is you're doing this week, try and remember this. Do the right things. Do the things right.